0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Whedon, Illinois. That gospel reading was intense. I don't know if you were listening. Jesus is promising. He's promising war and conflict and disease and pandemics and famine and persecution and hatred. Some good news in there. We'll get to it. Let's pray first, okay? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us so much, that you... um, Speak the truth to us in love. And you're not afraid of that. And so let us receive your word in humility and let us be transformed, but let us also seize the good news and the hope in this passage that you always, always give us. Never leave us without good news. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So as I was reading this passage, I was reading, I read a story about a former political leader, United uh, American political leader, In um, 2001, she became the first female national security advisor. And uh, somebody raise your hand if you know who I'm talking about. If you're over 35, you should know who this is, okay? Yes, okay? So in 2005, she became the 66th Secretary of State, the first uh, female African American to hold that position. She was fourth in line of succession to be the president of the United States. So very important position, but I had no idea that in her life story, she never intended to go into politics. She was actually, her sophomore year at college, she was a piano performance major, and that's what she wanted to do for a career. So in between her sophomore and junior year, she went to a music festival, and she said, I saw 11-year-olds playing music by sight that it took me years to learn. And then she realized I am not talented enough to be a a professional musician. So she switched gears and she went into politics. And she became an expert on foreign policy and then eventually um, an expert on the Soviet Union, and that's the history of Condoleezza Rice, also known as Condi to many people, who became a really competent and soothing presence for the United States over many years in politics. Somebody said about her life, so I was reading about her story and somebody summarized it this way. When she realized she couldn't be a professional musician, this person said, she didn't waste time staring at a door that was closing. Instead, while the opportunity was ripe, she pushed through a new door. I want to seize on that one word, that word opportunity. It's such a great word, the word opportunity. And it's the word that just kind of like blares out for me. And when we read this passage from Luke chapter 21 and verse 13, where Jesus says, this will be your opportunity to witness no matter how bad it gets, you're going to have an opportunity. It's an opportunity, a very specific opportunity. It's an opportunity to bear witness about a very particular person, Jesus. That's what Jesus, that's the heart of this passage. No matter how dark it gets, there's an opportunity. So turn with me in your Bibles. Um, So every Sunday we do this thing, and one of the things, if you're new here, one of the things I love about people at Church of the Resurrection is they they um, they love following along, and they like um, you guys, y'all, y'all, as they say down south. You you pay with such fierce attention. My friend Pastor Michael says, you know, I don't get a lot of amens when I preach at Church of the Resurrection, but I get these eyes, these eyes that are staring at me, that are saying amen all the time, and so. So anyway, I appreciate it about that. So let's look in at this word together. So the first thing to notice is, when are these things going to happen? That's what the disciples ask in verse 7. They say, hey, Jesus, can you give us a little clue? Teacher, when will these things take place? Give us some clues. So the timing of what Jesus is saying in these gospel passages that have like, like this, apoca- what's called apocalyptic literature, literature of the end, when is it going to happen? Well, I think the easiest way to say it is there's probably three things. First of all, there's, for Jesus' original hearers, when are these things gonna happen? Soon. All of the events he's talking about happen soon in the lives of the disciples. I think we can also say that it's not only soon, but it's at the end of history. Before Jesus comes, there's going to be bad things. But also throughout history. So soon, at the end, throughout history, there are cycles, there are times, there are seasons of disruption, of violence, of chaos, of social confusion, and political corruption. And we're going to see those throughout history. And even around the globe today, there are different people in different countries and different places that are having their Luke 21 moment right now as we speak. So that's when. What did Jesus say will happen? Well, he's going to tick off a number of things that could make us feel really insecure, really vulnerable, really um, fearful, and anxious, and self-protective. But we're going to say, keep in mind, there's good news here, which we'll get to. But he doesn't start there. So he starts in verses 5 and 6, and it says this, while some were speaking of the temple, this is the temple, this is where the Jewish people worshipped, a rebuilt temple, rebuilt in, well, mainly by the Roman government, helped build this and fund this. While some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, some of the stones were 60 feet high. Incredible stones, incredible construction, a source of national and civic pride, as it well should have been. It was beautiful. One historian said, when you saw it from the distance, it was like a mountain of snow. It was so beautiful. And Jesus says as for he says there will not be there will come a day when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now imagine you're the the people that are the disciples the other people around Jesus that are hearing this. What? What are you talking about? Nobody's going to destroy this temple. You are crazy, Jesus. That would be like my family moved to Long Island in June of 2001. Just before September of 9-11. It would be like one of those days, early days when we went into Manhattan we visited and saw the Twin Towers and somebody coming up to me and going, hey, pretty impressive, huh? And I go, yeah, these are cool. In a few months, those things are going to come crashing and burning and this whole neighborhood is going to be a pile of rubble and dust like you would not believe. I would say... Wow, crazy person. I don't think so. But it happened. 40 years after Jesus spoke these words, the Roman army marched in with tens of thousands of troops and squashed a Jewish rebellion against oppression and burned the temple to the ground. Many cultures around the earth we have our we have our are structures that we're really proud of, that we think are really impressive. So think of the, the pyramids of Egypt or the temples of the Aztecs or the Roman Colosseum or the Great Wall of China. And we tend to think that in America, we're the exception. Nothing could ever happen here. We're safe. We're invulnerable. I think 9-11 showed us that we're not as invulnerable as we think we are. So Jesus says, first, there, will be, there could be destruction, Second, he says there could also be a time of spiritual confusion. Look with me at verse 8, and he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Who are these many? Well, they come in Jesus' name. They claim to speak on behalf of Jesus, but their message is a sort of insider message elitist knowledge about things that you and I and ordinary Christians are not privy to so they know the timetable that ordinary Christians don't know that would be comparable to today to people that say you know what the church taught Ah, it's really it's boring it's just it's out of date you need to get it updated So here is, if you listen to us, I will tell you with some insider, elitist knowledge about what Christianity was really about or about what Jesus really meant or about what the Bible really teaches. Has the church ever taught that before? No, but we know it so you can follow us. And Jesus says, he basically says, don't be so gullible. Don't put yourself under spiritual authorities that promise you an elitist insider knowledge that the church has never taught before. Don't go after them. Don't give yourself up to them. That's the second thing. There's more. International political instability. Verses 9 and 10. Verse 9, Jesus says, When you hear of wars and tumults, Verse 10, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Are we not experiencing this in our world today? How many people of the Western elite class, including myself, thought Putin will never invade Ukraine? That'll just never happen. And if it does, man, we will just hit him so hard with economic economic sanctions, he will go to his knees immediately. That's not what happened, is it? Many people in the West, many of our most intelligent people are just appalled and shocked that around the globe, dictators around the globe, corrupt politicians around the globe are not getting on board with American-style democracy. Now, don't get me wrong. I love democracy. I think it's amazing. But there's a lot of people in the world that apparently don't love it. So Putin in Russia, Xi in China, with 1.5 billion people, Venezuela, Afghanistan, conflicts in Africa. Some people are saying the world's getting so much better all the time, and in some ways it is. That's really true. But try telling that to the hundred million people—a new record. United Nations says there's a hundred million people upon the globe, over one percent of the population who have been displaced either internally or have become refugees, driven out, usually by their own governments or war or conflict. Some people are living in Luke 21 right now. There will also be famines and pestilences. 30% of the world lives with moderate to severe food insecurity. Pestilences. Do I need to talk about COVID? I need to talk about what that did to the global economy, what it did to our nation, the lingering effects of that still, and mental health issues, education issues. I don't need to talk about it. One more thing Jesus promises. Okay, this is going to be better, so just hold on. Persecution. So in verse 12, he says, "...but before all this they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my sakes." And then in verse 16, he says, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. Some of you probably aren't old enough to, to, to know, but th- what happened in the Soviet Union and what happened in communist bloc countries, how this literally happened thousands and thousands of times where people were turned in by a spouse, people were turned in by a child, people were turned in by a brother, This literally happened. And then it says, And some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. So not just Jesus saying, you know, you might have some people that that kind of mildly dislike you. They just won't agree with your position on certain things. No, you will be hated. And you will have people who will try to kill you. Now, we don't face this level of persecution in this, this country, and I have no predictions of what's going to happen in our country, but I do know that this is happening around the globe to some of our brothers and sisters already. So I, I talked to my friend Justice, who's a, an Anglican priest in the Diocese of Jos, Nigeria, and I asked him, how's it going? And he said, oh, man, it's, it's worse. It's worse than ever in the small villages, which mostly consist of small Uh, Small villages with farmers and subsistent farmers and and Christian churches are being wiped out and destroyed partially because of the religious faith and partially because people want their land. And it's happening all the time. And he said, just last month, I was walking through a crowd and I had my collar on and they identified me as a Christian and as a priest and they started beating me and they punched me. And he said, Matt, they would have killed me. Somehow I was able to get in my car and drive away. Now, look what Jesus says. He says something really important here. He says, this is for my name's sake. So if we are persecuted, if we are hated for being rude, for being violent, for being power-hungry, for being mean-spirited, if we are hated for those things, then that's for our sake. That's not what Jesus is talking about. That's on us. But if we are hated because we take the words of Jesus seriously and we want to follow him and we want to live that out and we are hated for that, then the church has always viewed that as a badge of honor. Something to not shirk or be ashamed of. And just because somebody is persecuted doesn't mean they're doing something wrong. It might be because they're doing something absolutely right. Okay, let's all just take a deep breath. (sighs) I'm imagining Jesus, a little band of disciples. They're hearing all this, small group. They have no political clout. They have no positions of authority. They have no schools. They have no printing presses. They have no access to places of power. They can't influence what people are saying about them. And I imagine them... Going to Jesus, Jesus, you are scaring us. This is kind of scary. But notice what Jesus does. There is good news woven into this, all around this, under this. There is good news in here. I love what Jesus says in verse nine. He says, So he says there's going to be terrors, but then in verse nine, he says, But do not be terrified. How can you not be terrified in the midst of terrors? Isn't that, I mean, if I'm, if I'm experienced terror, I feel terrified. He says, you know, you can experience terrors, but not be terrified. And then he also says, they're gonna put you to death, but then in verse 18, he says, but not a hair of your head will perish. How can I be put to death, but not a per- hair of my head will perish? Well, Jesus is speaking metaphorically, and what he's saying, I think, is this, is that, that there is a part of you, there is something in you that is absolutely invulnerable. That is absolutely protected that nobody can touch and that is your soul that is your relationship with Jesus that is your love for him that is your love for other people nobody can touch that as Colossians 3 says your life is hidden with Christ and God and nobody can get to that and then Jesus in this passage he gives us these two big bright hope-filled resurrection charged promises The first one, as I already read in verse 13, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Specifically, not to be right about every political issue, but to bear witness to Jesus. So when it gets darker, we have the opportunity to shine more light. When it gets more confusing, we have the opportunity to speak the truth in love. When the world gets more violent, we can be peacemakers. When the world gets more secularized, we have the opportunity to be more prayerful. When others curse, we have the opportunity to bless. If the world gets more ugly or toxic or your family or your your work culture or your neighborhood or whatever, if it gets more toxic and ugly, we have the opportunity to live lives of beauty and holiness, as Father Brett preached about last week, to become saints in the Lord. Let me give you a specific example. So, as you know, there are many people in our culture who are absolutely passionate about making abortion as available as long as in a pregnancy as possible. And I think our midterm elections showed that. And I won't go into the details of that. But there are powerful pro-abortion forces, very well-funded. Now, on the one hand, that breaks my heart. But on the other hand, as a church, we got to go, well, there's an opportunity here. What is it? Let me tell you what we're trying to do. Four things. First, we have this baby bank that's open every Thursday. Every, every other Thursday. Thank you, Pam. 20 to 10, I think This is my fact checker right here. So um, after the elections, we decided it was necessary to have a fact checker in the sermons. So... so uh, Okay, okay, uh, I'll, I'll, we'll get that information out, thanks. Lots of facts, okay, this is good. So, um, so the baby bank is open every other Thursday. 20 to 30 women come every, every other week to get their baby supplies, to be equipped to raise their children that they've decided to keep in very difficult circumstances. So we want to honor that, but I think the thing that they get the most out of that time is not just stuff, but it's warmth, it's acceptance, it's love, it's being seen, it's being affirmed, experiencing unconditional love. That's what they're getting the most. Second thing is our Replanted ministry. Shout out for Replanted. People, our families that have chosen to adopt. We love that and we are so proud of them and so happy to support them in any small way we can. Third is our Thrive ministry to parents who have children with disabilities and have been impacted by that. We're so proud of those families. And fourth, we're partnering with Pastor Michael and his church to start, we actually have a board and a 501c3 to start a caring network women's clinic in the Austin neighborhood. And that is on its way. And we're excited about that. all that to say, there's so much more we can do, and even all this is like seems like a drop in the bucket. But for the church, there is always an opportunity. There's always an open door. And we're always asking the Lord, what is it, Lord? What's the open door? Where is that? The second word in this passage is the word presence. The presence of Jesus. I love what Jesus says in verse 14. He says, in the midst of persecution, he says, settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. In other words, you don't need to think of every single word you're going to have to say because I'll be with you and I'll help you form the words when you're in those situations, if you ever get in those situations. I will help you. I will give you the words So I was talking to Dean Steve, and I think I have this right. So when he has, when he's leading a worship team, he said he will not give them a full score of all the music, right, so far, okay? Um, He gives them part of the song map, but not the whole thing. And why? So they will keep looking at him, the leader of the team. I love that because that's, basically what Jesus is doing. is like, I don't, I'm not going to give you a script because I don't want you to just look at your script. I want you to look at me. When you're in those tough situations, if, if the church around the globe, whenever you're being persecuted, I want you to look at me. I want you to experience my presence in the midst of that. On July 28th, 1944, a Catholic priest named Alfred Delp was condemned to death by Adolf Hitler himself put the death sentence on him. Delp was a man who was uh, a Nazi resister, did not kowtow to the government, and Hitler really hated this guy. The judge at the trial called him a rat and said he must be stamped out. They burnt his body, and they scattered his ashes on a Berlin sewage field, which ironically grew flowers and vegetables eventually, but before his execution, after the war, people found some things that he had Father Delp had written on the cells of his prison wall, and one of them was this and I love this, let us trust life let us trust life, because we don't live it alone Jesus lives it with us so you can trust life. Now, let me just say, some of you might be in a really dark place this morning, or a gray place, uh, just a gray zone, where you're feeling anxious, depressed, you're hurting, maybe you're angry, or you're obsessed by something, or. You have a burden or a problem that's just really weighing on you or a sin that so easily clings to you and you feel defeated and alone. And let me just say that this morning is an opportunity to meet Jesus in the midst of whatever you're going through. I really believe that's the word Jesus wants to give you. You can trust life with him because you are not alone. You have an advocate who is for you, not against you. Cling to him. Come to him. Come to the table with open hands. Get prayer on the sides, but let him minister to you this morning. The second thing is for the church corporately. As I said, we always have an opportunity. And I'm just really fascinated by the way Jesus ends this little section. In verse 19, he says, By your endurance you will gain your lives. Not by your uber heroism, although it's great to be heroic, there's nothing wrong with that. Not by your triumph, not by gloating over your enemies, not by gaining political power, not by whatever. You will gain your lives by endurance, by simply walking the walk that I've set before you, step by step, day by day, week by week. That's what we do here, that's what we're about. That's why every Sunday we, have, we invite you to come to the Lord's table. Every Sunday. We don't miss a Sunday. Every Sunday you get a chance to meet Jesus. Every Sunday you get a chance to feed on him in your heart by faith and with thanksgiving. And we do that just week after week. And I, I just want us to think about how, in a sense, how unspectacular it is, how ordinary it is, how humid it is and yet how charged it is with the presence of Jesus. So I want to ask you, how is the Lord stirring you? We prayed at the very beginning of the service. Dean Steve, Steve prayed, stir us up, O oh Lord. Stir us up. How is the Lord stirring you to a life of good works? And maybe you don't know, and that's okay. Just say this week, Jesus, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? What's my opportunity? What's my open door? Would you show that to me? Because I believe he wants to show that to you. He really does. And then we become a church and a people who do not meet the darkness with despair, who do not resort to hate, who do not curse and bless instead. And even in the darkest night, we hear Jesus' word.